A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 207 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legend, as well as canon, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes as well as Stitcher and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the guy with no voice, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Erleman, and with me like a large Wookiee following you around, roaring ceaselessly in an attempt to communicate, the EU guru himself, the count of our two continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler! Hello, hello, hello. So how you been, man? I, I know I've been doing the haunted house. We got two more nights to go. My voice is clearly sounding it. I've been uh, channeling my inner joker. You can't get out that way. You gotta go around in circles. What are you doing? You don't want to leave. I get people all so lost. I got this hallway. It's got doors on each side. And we get like four groups in at one time. But we're moving them constantly so they don't see each other. And they get down to the end where I'm standing right in the curtain to get them out. But they don't want to go near me. There's another door right next to me that's got Charlie Chapman painted on it. And they're pulling on it. And I'm like, you got to pull harder. Don't you want to get this woman out? And I look at her. I'm like, don't you want him to get you out? you got to tell him how much you love him. And they're like, pulling. you got to use your man muscles. Come on in there. Oh, you might need to show him how it's done, lady. Come on there. Show him how a real man pulls. You know, and they're like, what the hell? Pulling, pulling. I'm like, then I lean over to the girl that's standing next to him. And I'm like, you may want to shove him through the curtain on his left. And they're like, oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm so evil. Wow. wow. So, so yeah, uh, I've been seeing the images popping up from that. And, you know, don't don't take this the wrong way, but uh, you could be a serial killer. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, my God, hopefully he cleans that stuff off before he wakes up his children in the morning. So they don't think that he's going to kill them in their sleep. I, I did have one weekend where I walked past the mirror and forgot about it. Scared the shit out of myself. I was like, oh, oh, OK. Got to go take a shower. There you go. But yeah, I, I can tell that your your voice is taking a beating from that whole thing, but I think that's a yearly, it's a yearly kind of thing. Every time you do this, it seems like you're you're back and you're like, eh, what's that, Sonny? <laughs> just you know, you sound like the like the old man again. Um, here, I mean, kind of normal, but doing a lot of the PSVR stuff. And, but now, for the last couple of days, I've been having to kind of set that aside as much as I want to play some because I'm waking up with these massive, massive migraines. I guess because the weather's finally starting to change that I'm getting stomped up enough that every day I feel like somebody slid a knife through one of my eye sockets mm. and up into my brain. So, whew, not so uh, not so pleasant. I'm uh, just waiting for that migraine medicine to kick in now. But at least I don't sound quite as, as bad as uh, I feel. Mm. Speaking of migraines... Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we plunge very deep into Marvel's Star Wars Chewbacca. Now, before we get too deep into spoiler territory, we'll give you a quick spoiler-free rundown. Just be sure to jump off at Tarkin's Arrogance. Wait, Marvel's Chewbacca, not Dark Horses? No! God. Wow, wow. You would think that... It'd be easy to top a Chewbacca miniseries from Dark Horse where the character was, you know, dead and just being reminisced about. Um, but apparently that is a much more difficult feat to pull off than anyone would have expected. So what we've got here is the five-issue Chewbacca miniseries from Marvel. Um, we've had Lando. We've had Leia. Uh, Kanan had his own series. So why not give Chewbacca a series? And... I gotta say that as positive as we have been on most of the new canon stuff, either saying it's kind of either, eh, you know, take it or leave it, or been good, 
there's rarely been things that you're just like, oh my god, why did I waste my money on that? That was horrible. What were they thinking when they greenlit this? And how did this get past all the different levels of editors and approvals to actually see print? Now we've got one of those. Uh, a story that in my mind rivals Darth Vader and the lack of plot, also known as Darth Vader and the Ninth Assassin, as one of the least readable, least enjoyable Star Wars comics of all time. God, I hate this series. It's a series that is, it's about Chewbacca, in theory. Chewbacca doesn't really play a major role in it. Chewbacca's basically lassie in this series. A lot of, what's that, Chewie? The Empire's coming to kill us? What? And Timmy fell down the well? Kind of stuff. A main character, who's not really, I guess, supposed to be the main character, but winds up being the main character, who is incredibly manipulative, annoying, and... I had to constantly be reminded each issue whether or not this is supposed to be a boy character or a girl character um, because of the way that they did the character design. A story in which there is no way to know what Chewbacca is doing or thinking at any given time except for the visual cues of what he's doing because they don't take any time trying to give you a way to understand his perspective at all in a comic bearing his name that winds up just coming off as a mess, topped off with visuals that really... I don't know. I mean, is this supposed to be a Saturday morning cartoon kind of visual here? Uh, the color palette reminds me of what happens if you have a bunch of those uh, gummy lifesavers and you let them all sit out in the car during the heat a little too long and they get all mushed together, except take that and then sunbake it so that all the vibrancy of the color goes away. This series just did not do it for me. It's one of those series that absolutely must be referenced sometime later to justify its existence, because as it stands right now, it's one of the few Star Wars comics that I have ever, or probably will ever say, you should probably simply avoid at all costs, because it is that bad. Mark? Well, 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 well. I mean... <laughs> Can I really put a happy spin on this one? I know everybody's looking at me right now like, well, we know where Nate sits. Uh, it's your turn, sir. I know. Uh, and I hate to be the down vote, but uh, I, 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 this is like the election, man. This, this is a hard one. Do I really want to put uh, uh, my, my sense on this? I'm in the same boat. No, I, I have the same issue with the lack of a point on this one. I'm like, for me, the biggest thing was like, oh, so that's what happened to his medal? And I, I stop and I go, is that really a question that we needed to have answered in this fashion? Like, I, I don't I don't know. I mean, that's a question that we've had answered a few times in Legends. But I, I'm back with you on the, on the Lassie angle. I keep coming back to, I really think that somewhere along the line, Lucas must have decided, just as he did with Yoda's species being unknown, that we can never know what Chewbacca says. Because it seems like there were very few Legends books that ever really gave us translation. Now, there were a couple. I want to say that like uh, the Karelian uh, trilogy where Han gets captured and stuff, we see a Wookiee SWAT team. We see, you know, Lobaka's, uh, no, no, not Lobaka, uh, Waru, uh, Chewie's son is with him and they're talking. We can actually see what they're talking about. Great. Loved it. We don't get that here. And I kept thinking, you know, would I rather have a transition where we see, you know, the little, the little communication boxes with the, everything translated in the little arrows like we did in that book? Or would I rather have something where the editor is putting in little things and we're getting, you know, inside Chewie's mind, but we're not actually seeing what he's saying? And I really, I think it's time to have the translation. Unless Lucas said, we shouldn't know what Chewie's saying. I think it's time. I think that it devalues Chewie as a character to continue to treat him like all he is is Lassie. That that really, to the point of, it's hard to read this comic without starting to get pissed off because Chewie is a, is a big player. Chewie is a, one of the main reasons why we discontinued the EU and made it Legends. We had to have the Wookiee back. Why? To crap on him? No, I don't think we should have done that. And I kind of felt like by doing what they did in the medium that they did... It was kind of like a big poodoo in the face of the Wookiee. And you don't put poodoo in a Wookiee's face. They got fur. Come on. Now, in the term of color palette, I, I, I agree with you. I, the thing that jumped out to me was I felt like it was a mix between what we get in Lando comic and the colors of Dark Empire. Like It was it very washed out at times. There were moments where I was in the same boat with you uh, with the character being female, but 
I, 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 that was the way I went. I, I just kind of, everything she was doing and stuff reminded me more of my daughter than my son. So I kind of went with that direction. I did have a hard time looking up what the arabesque on her shirt said. Uh, it, the closest I could get with a bunch of other people's agreements is trouble. Uh, but I believe the T in that was not the right font. It was kind of hard to figure that out. I was like, wait, that's close to that, but not quite. Uh, so there were, there were a lot of moments like that. And I think the thing that really bothered me the most is because it was so little to this comic... It was kind of weird that it was five issues. It doesn't feel like five issues, that's for sure. I think you hit on the biggest thing here, and I guess it makes sense to go ahead and, and hit it in a non-spoiler part, because it doesn't really spoil anything. It's the way they handled Chewbacca, particularly his, his speaking. I, I'm not going to go so far as to say, that's not Chewie, right? But pretty close, because, you know, in the films, obviously you can't have Chewbacca translated unless you got someone there like C-3PO or if you take a Legends angle, you know, MTD, you know, uh, with Lobaka. There has to be, you know, just the fact that in film you're limited to what you can do. And of course, Lucas referred to him kind of as the family dog before, but we know that he's meant to be more than that. And certainly the Wookiees themselves are meant to be more than that. Uh, not just within Legends or within canon as far as spinoff stuff goes, but the way that, that Lucas brought them in within uh, episode three, and the main reason why he didn't use them in Return of the Jedi. The whole thing of, well, they're more sophisticated than these primitives are are needing to be for the end of Return of the Jedi, etc., etc. So it's supposed to be a sophisticated character. But if you're going to have a series named after the character, supposedly featuring the character as the major player, in this case I would say he's kind of second fiddle uh, to Zaro, the girl, in this, you need some way to get across his perspective. And whether they do, as you were saying, you know, whether they do some th- kind of, you know, word balloon, but it's got the different, you know, font to it, word balloon with the little uh, uh, greater than, less than type yeah. signs on either side as brackets to show that it's translated. Just have a little asterisk early on in a little box down there saying, you know, editor's note, uh, all la- all uh, uh, Chewbacca speak translated from uh, Shri Wook or whatever. Do that or give us... You know, little, what you call it, like narration boxes where it's his perspective and him speaking in first person, but he's not saying it out loud because what he says wouldn't be able to be uh, understandable to others around him. Or give us just a narration, a third person narration that at least describes what he's thinking, feeling, whatever. Instead, we've got this weird thing where like the most clearly he ever communicates at one point is he's trying to say that he's wanting to go back into space and continue his mission. So he points two fingers upward and goes, mm-hmm. and, and it's like, oh, wow, I guess he needs to go that way. That or he's saying we're number one twice or something. He never comes across clearly and they have no idea how to handle following his actions given the fact that he can't speak about what he's doing. There's a point at which you know, there's some segments where it seems like he goes from panel to panel and you're like, wait, what did he just do? Mm-hmm. Because it's not clear. But there's another point where all he's doing is climbing out of like a, a ventilation hole kind of thing and up onto the surface of, of uh, outside of these mines. And they take four pages <laughs> to show him climbing out. What the? F- Ugh. There's the visual storytelling here is a mess. And it makes me wonder how this was scripted. Because you have uh, Gary or Jerry Dugan is the person who wrote this. And the artist is Phil Noto, N-O-T-O. And I got to kind of sit back because I remember when I was working on Equals and Opposites for Tales. And what I had to do basically, and this is just one of the ways it can be done, was to sort of script things out. And what you would have is sort of a, you know, a panel one, panel two, panel three breakdown on your page describing what's happening with any dialogue also called out there. In this case, I'm wondering if they did something more loose where the artist was able to basically just sort of interpret things and create whatever they wanted and the writer then went with that or if it was incredibly tightly scripted with the uh, with the uh, writer trying to show exactly what was happening in each panel to make sure that this character who doesn't speak is clear in what he's doing. But it, whatever approach they took didn't work. And it's it, you get a final... Slap in the face, turd in the punch bowl. When you get to the end of the story and we finally find out what Chewbacca's mission has been this entire time, and it only makes a little bit of sense because no one's talking. It's an ending where like, I'm sitting there scratching my head like, I think I kind of know vaguely what just happened, but what the hell did I just read? 
in those last couple of pages. Somebody in some office must have been sitting there saying, we need a Chewbacca miniseries. Awesome. And you know what? We should make it all visual. Let's not translate what he says. How cool would that be? And how daring would that be? Yeah, man, that's daring. It doesn't matter how daring you are if it doesn't work. I could be brave as hell and jump off a skyscraper, but when I go splat at the bottom, oops, bad effing idea. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I kept going back to the Chewie being pointless in this comic. I mean, when I was going through it, you know, I, I usually I grab a comic and I flip through it. I check out the art first. I come back to the dialogue. So I come back to the dialogue on this one. And guess what? What dialogue? Yeah, what is there to stick around for in the panels with Chewie? Nothing. I mean, you don't even linger on the art because there's nothing else there. You just, okay, skip, skip, skip. So it, it, it makes it harder for the artist then to draw you in because there's nothing else to pull you to that character panel. It's, I, that was a real drop ball in this medium especially. And I love the fact that... As bored as I am trying to read this, and as much as I'm like, yeah, trying to read it, the way that Chewbacca's eyes are drawn, it's almost like Chewbacca is always sitting there like, really? Yeah. Really? This is the comic you put me in? Even Chewbacca, in the artist's art, doesn't look interested in what's happening. Oh yeah, at one point he covers his ears, he's completely fed up. I'm like, uh, yep, getting there. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I've been there, done that, and now I'm getting to do it all over again so we can read it for the episode. I mean, that is not to say that there isn't an overarching plot. It's just that Chewbacca's portrayal is, is god-awful here, uh, and the way they handle him is pretty awful. But the general gist of there being essentially a planet where a local crime boss uh, kind of guy, the local gangster, whatever you want to call him, is, is oppressing the population, uh, abusing his power, and now he plans to essentially sell off his operation to the Empire, which would be even worse, perhaps, for the planet. Uh, and the fact that they're so downtrodden, they need someone from the outside to come help them. That's a pretty straightforward story. That could have been a decent tale. I mean, just the idea of having a criminal, instead of working with the Empire, the criminal having to sort of put on a good face and trying to sell off his operation to the Empire so he can walk away with a profit, you know, selling it to those white slavers. Oh, I'm sorry, did I reference Lucas and Disney or something? That has an interesting aspect to it to some degree. Mm -hmm. But even then, you have characters that aren't well designed, you have characters that aren't well portrayed, and it's just kind of like, oh, so the completely one-dimensional villain is going to sell off his operation to the completely one-dimensional Imperials. Okay, why should I care? And it doesn't help that the kid that is the focal point of the story, I know that, I guess she's supposed to be precocious? Supposed to be like, you know, I can do everything? You know, people talk about Ray being a Mary Sue, right? That's probably, Zara was probably closer to that. Yeah. But this idea of sort of the, I can do anything, I can do everything, every, you know, just is somehow smarter than everyone around her and is, is manipulating the situation. I guess that's supposed to be heroic. But the way that it's always with Chewbacca, like Chewbacca has something he needs to get back to. Oh, I guess you'll just let us all get killed then. That's all right. We were going to get killed anyway. Kind of talk just makes her an obnoxious little I would say Sith, but you know what I mean with rearranging the letters there. Mm -hmm. um, it makes her a completely unlikable character, except once or twice when they do nice little visual things. Like there's a point where we, she says, Baboom, <laughs> trying to apparently communicate to Chewbacca, who all of a sudden doesn't understand regular basic English, that they need an explosion. That she can't just say we need an explosion and talk to him like Han does and have him understand it. She has to talk in baby talk to him. But see, how great would that have been, though, if they had that in a narration where he could have been rawr, 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 and he's like, I'm telling you, you don't need to do that. I understand what the hell you're saying. Talk regular, I'm not a child. Exactly. <laughs> um, but they do a good visual moment there because it has the ba, has like a, a panel of the hands together, and then boom, the hands apart, which you can sort of tell exactly what the motion is meant to be between those panels. And it's a very cinematic way of doing it from panel to panel. But it's those little glimmers that give you a sense of what this story perhaps could have been, whereas the rest of it is just, why am I reading this? Why is this written? Why did I just spend money on all the issues of this comic? At least, at least in your case, I was able to give you the digital copy codes out of my physical copies. But imagine <laughs> me sitting here buying the digital copy 
to read it when it comes out and buying the actual issue when it finally comes in the mail as part of my one shipment per month from Things From Another World so that I have that extra uh, code to give you. I've paid twice for this sack of garbage. Well, and honestly, this is the this is where I stopped. I was like, I was buying them all in duplicate and print, you know, just to have it. Kanan was the one I got right before this, and then this one came, and I was like, you know, I think I can wait on this. I don't I don't feel a burning need here. The only thing that's burning is the, the feeling I'm getting for Chewy. And I think that was the issue is when I first saw him in the very first panel, I'm like, what the heck? Is Chewie a hippie? Like, and the more I stop and I think about it, you know, he's laying in some flowers, but I get the feeling like they're really running with this dog thing. You know, he's laying in the flowers. He's rolling in the field. He's just having a dog's day. There's a, a, another part later where Zaro climbs right up him and I'm like, wait, is she supposed to be like a dog person? Like one of those people that it doesn't matter what size the dog is. They just, oh, look at you. You're just a good big booby. Oh, come on. Give you some love. Normally, most people are like, holy shit, that's a big ass Rottweiler. It's going to take my f-ing hand off, but not this crazy lady. She's going to climb right up that Wookiee. Those Wookiees that are known for ripping people's arms off. But hey, you know, it's Chewy. She lucked out. So we should be very glad that Lucas and my column weren't behind this because if they were in their phantom menace state of mind we would have had Chewie like taking a crap or, or like peeing on the edge of something by lifting his enormous leg oh my god and they could have easily i mean how long was he parked there with the a-wing there's no refresher on it <laughs> exactly or, had a little hole in the corner I mean, you, they could have gone the full nine i mean they already have the manipulation thing going on and treating him like he's not really a fully sentient character anyway it could have been instead of well, I guess we're going to all get killed now. And that kind of manipulation, Zaro could have just come out with a squeaky toy and been like, come here, come here, come save us, boy. Come save us. Squeak, squeak, squeak. Yeah. Well, she's like, at one point, you shed a lot. Gross. I'm like, wow, they're really hitting all the Wookiee stereotypes, aren't they? <laughs> Getting them right out there. <laughs> Smash that racist, androgynous child. So, yes. So, suffice to say, we are not all that thrilled with this uh, series. But for those who have been saying, well, they're just way too positive on some of that newer stuff. They even like Life Dead after not liking Aftermath, blah, blah, blah. Well, congratulations. Now you get the episode where we have a comic series that neither of us can really stand. Uh, Which I guess means we should get to spoilers. We've analyzed their attack, sir, and there are spoilers. Should I have your ship standing by? Evacuate? In our moment of triumph? I think you overestimate their chances. So consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentience of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. So what you've basically got here is a story on the planet uh, Andelm 4. And you've basically got this guy, Arax. And Arax's daughter, yes, daughter, they do say she from time to time, Zaro. And the idea is that there's this crime lord, Jom, who has a right-hand man who is a Shistavan and Wolfman. Uh, and essentially, he has, he's basically got the, the dad kind of under the gun because the dad owes a whole bunch of money. And rather than just waiting to be repaid because it's taking so long, Jom basically takes the dad and the girl and forces them to work in these so-called beetle caverns, these mines, where they're getting these weird, glowing, beetly, larva-ish things. Like, imagine that they're mining for gummy bears, kind of? Yeah, like a grub worm-like gummy bear. Yeah, and which is kind of nasty by itself. And thankfully, the dad helps Zaro escape. Anax, or Arax, I guess, uh, helps Zaro escape. And Zaro winds up running uh, back into town while Chewbacca has crash-landed nearby in an A-wing because he was on his way on some kind of mission that we'll figure out a little bit at the end. And he just crashed nearby and is just kind of chilling in the flowers. Just laying around, chilling in the flowers. When he goes into town to get a part and winds up needing to play some sabacc in order to get enough money to buy the part that he needs, he winds up bumping into Zaro a couple of times, including when she's trying to hide out from being hunted down by... Uh, Jom's goons inside the casino and in a sense he just kind of takes her under his wing briefly just allowing her to have some of his food some of his soup except then she just sticks around and sticks around and sticks around and is trying to sort of tell him her life story and he's basically just kind of saying yeah I gotta go gotta go pointing to the sky gotta go got stuff to do until finally she points out you know uh, do you know what it means to be a slave And that's what finally sets him off. And the fact that apparently, with Chewbacca having been a slave, he has no 
willingness to allow that to exist where he finds it, he decides he's going to help Zaro save everyone. So they concoct a plan to basically uh, get back into the mines and basically work their way out and upward, except the plan goes somewhat awry, and on the way out, Chewbacca is nearly blown up uh, when Jom's henchman blasts a bunch of explosives near him. And if it sounds like the last two to three sentences I just said were a very fast change of events after the whole, they're working together, yeah, that summarized the entire second issue. Yeah, her plan to bluff was a bad plan going in. It's like such a horrible plan. Chewie should have known right from the get-go. I mean, use Chewie as a threat. He should know better than the bluff without being ready to go full in. So, I mean, either Chewie knew automatically that he was going to have to go in and knuckle people up and then didn't take the time to survey the situation more. Like, there were, that was a couple moments where I was having a, that's not Chewie, come on, kind of thing. Exactly, exactly. So... They do wind up getting everyone out, but now they got to find a way to basically get Jom off their back, and now the Empire off their back, because Jom has decided he's going to sell off his entire criminal operation, the mining operation, to the Empire, though the Empire's uh, representative hasn't actually arrived to survey it yet. That Imperial representative is Commander Kai, uh, who's arriving in a Star Destroyer. So they wind up coming up with another plan, essentially to... Go to where Jom is supposed to be meeting the Imperials with Chewbacca dressed up like a war droid and wreak some havoc and in the process get a droid aboard uh, the shuttle going up to the Star Destroyer and have that droid filled with explosives. Unfortunately, Chewbacca and Zaro get caught and both also wind up being taken up there in a shuttle. Uh, though they beat the crap out of the stormtroopers and they're already free by the time they get there anyway. And we they have to find a way to escape the Star Destroyer before everything goes boom. They steal a TIE bomber, make their way back down to the surface. Um, but in the process of all this, they basically convinced the Imperial guy who showed up, Kai, that, oh yeah, that explosive droid, that wasn't us. That was Jom. Jom is planning to betray you. This whole thing was a setup. He really doesn't have uh, all these resources he claims that he has. Uh, he's actually a rebel. And they wind up arresting Jom, and last we see of him, he's about to be tortured for information. Until finally we see Zaro and Arax reunited, and Chewbacca continues on on his mission, which is apparently to go back to Kashyyyk carrying a gift of the bandolier of a fallen Wookiee? Yeah. To give to the family. Although we have no idea who the family members are, what his connection is to any of them, what the circumstances were under which anyone died and that bandolier was lost, who the fallen Wookiee was and when this may have happened. Oh yeah, and in the process, Chewie decides to give his medal to Zaro as essentially a token of remembrance and, and congratulations to her. So we have a bandolier being delivered that we have no idea where it came from, and the uh, ever-elusive medal for Chewbacca gets given to Zaro here. So I guess that's meant to explain why we don't see it later, but it's not like we see Han and Luke's later either. Um, but at least we already knew that he got the medal from back in the Smuggler's Run book. And that's pretty much it. That's kind of the story in a nutshell. And and by nutshell, uh, I, I put emphasis on nut as in they were crazy to greenlight it. Yeah, I was going to say, in a nutshell, that was it in its entirety. <laughs> now, there were some things here that, that some physics that kind of threw me off. Uh, there was a moment where Chewie's leg catches on fire, and I'm like, nope, sorry, nope, he should have burnt to death. Hair goes up way faster than that, way fast. And it's faster than Zora can move. There's no way in hell that Wookiee wasn't burned alive like Vader. That one just didn't work for me. Then there was the aspect of, uh, you know, the keep missing. Uh, you know, that threw me off at first, and then I realized, oh, it was a plan to set up the bad guy. That I actually liked. I was like, oh, that was kind of slick. Okay, that was that was a cool little plot point. But I was almost like... It was a wasted plot point for this comic. Like, they could have saved a story like that for Rebels, and it probably would have been better. That was an issue for me. Another one was they're in one of the hangar bays, and there's an explosive decompression. And Chewie is Tarzan swinging from cable to cable. I'm sorry, but you cannot swing away from explosive decompression in space. No freaking way. Just, ah. There was some moments like that that really took me out. I don't know. There was like, Chewie leaves this tie for his blowcaster. I thought that was kind of a lame addition. The, the metal thing just didn't fit with it at all. I didn't quite understand why they were doing that. And honestly, the bandolier aspect, I really kind of was hoping that there would have been more to that. Like, 
the promise of a story there is more interesting than the Chewbacca comic itself. And that's a really, really sad state of affairs. And it's funny because they also, I mean, they give us sort of a hint of a better story underneath as well in the second issue. Because when Chewbacca is on his way down into the mine, uh, he's remembering having been taken as a slave by Trandoshans, being with other Wookiees, being put into a cell, etc., etc. It's like, I want to know that part of Chewie's background in canon. I don't care about this. This isn't keeping my interest. That kind of thing would have. If they had maybe interspersed more of those flashbacks here to give us more of Chewbacca's background, that would have worked well. Except, of course, they're probably going to wind up covering that in the Han Solo standalone movie. And you made an interesting comment, I think, by accident. When you were talking about the little girl, you said Zora. Not Zaro, Zora. And I think that one of the things that threw me is, as an English language speaker, English shares a lot of conventions with the Romance languages, right? So Latin, and then eventually things like French and Spanish and so forth. And in a lot of those languages, if you have a name that ends in an O, it tends to be a male name, if that. And when it comes to female names, a lot of times the names end in A, it's just sort of the convention. And so we're used to, if we hear someone whose name ends with an A or a long E sound a lot of times, um, though not as often, we sort of assume that unless there's some other reference point we have for that name, that name sounds female. If this character had been named Zora instead of Zaro, I don't think that there would have been the immediate, okay, is this a boy or a girl that we're dealing with type of thing that I had going on trying to follow this? Because... Understand, folks, you know, this was a monthly or semi-monthly, whatever you want to call it. This was a, basically a monthly comic series over five issues. So over about half a year, we got this story. And every single issue, I had to be reminded by checking out the opening crawl, oh yeah, this is supposed to be a girl. There's just nothing, I mean, I guess, I mean, it doesn't matter if the character is a boy or a girl, really. Um, the character does nothing that is demonstrably must be a boy doing it, must be a girl doing it, doesn't really matter. And at that age, probably doesn't make that much of a difference anyway. You know, I mean, this is, they don't say an age, but presumably this is a relatively young girl, you know, maybe preteen or something. Um, so what's the big deal either way? It's just the fact that it wasn't clear. It's yet another thing that didn't work well that should have been obvious. And if they had just switched the placement of two vowels, it would have been obvious that this was supposed to be a young girl. I mean, I guess if you look at the covers, it's a little bit clearer to a small degree, but not in the interior artwork because the interior artwork is not very defined on that point. So yes, I just constantly frustrating. Uh, that is not to say it doesn't have, again, those good visual moments. Like there's another moment, aside from the baboom, there's a moment where Basically, the goons for Jom are in the mines and about to kill the, uh, the miners as they're trying to escape. And Chewie basically drops down from, a, from the hole in the ceiling where he's been uh, uh, working his way back and forth and beats the living crap out of all the goons. And when he does, we don't actually see him do it. We see her point of view, and she's like, Hey, pal, yes! <laughs> and then has like this look on her face like, Oh, crap. And then a guy goes flying over her head, and it's done as a set of uh, sequential panels that are all sort of the widescreen type of, of dimensions going down the page. It's like there's this sense of, I know, there's a visual style to being able to do this and have people's reactions and things like that play well and feel somewhat cinematic and kind of get across the badassery of Chewbacca without even having to show it. So there's that skill that's there, but then the rest of it is such a mess that it's completely incongruous to have that kind of cool visual style of storytelling mixed with the rest of it. It'd be like if you had an episode of, uh, I don't know, the, the crudest possible episode you could imagine of Family Guy, and then halfway into the episode, it breaks into Shakespeare. <laughs> it just, why couldn't the skill go through the entire thing? Why couldn't all of it be done as skillfully as the handful of panels that make you sit back and go, wow, that was some good artistic storytelling. Like, I'm literally, as I'm reading it, sitting back in some of these panels going, huh, that was pretty cool, which I usually don't do. 
But is it because of the contrast to the rest of the comic, or was it really that good in those few panels? It's probably the contrast. I, I'm glad you brought up that, that scene, because that was the scene that I was noticing that the violence seemed to be so toned down. I mean, you would see Chewie ripping arms off only through shadows. And it made me stop and think, you know, maybe this comic was actually aimed for kids and not for anyone else. I mean, they go out of their way to hammer in the fact that Chewie is basically a dog, um, which... You know, on one hand, I'm okay with that. I'm a dog person. I, I, I like dogs. But I just, I kind of feel like, you know, you've got to make him a character. He cannot continue just to be a sidekick. You go out of your way to show that Chewie can play Sabak. You know, it, 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 he didn't just get lucky. He knows how to play, which is not something that I naturally think of. I don't I don't think of Chewie sitting at the Sabak table playing. I always think of Han and Lando. But now... Now I'm stopping and thinking about that. You know, why wouldn't Chewie be playing? I mean, Chewie played Dejeric. Chewie probably plays more games than Han does. So, you know, I, I think that they had an opportunity here, but I think because they were trying to keep it quick and fast and pacey and keep him in a dog-like way to, to make him appeal to kids, I think that it dropped the ball for the character overall. And I think that was a really bad thing. Uh, I, I think they should never have done that at all. There were, like you said, some fun moments. We see Chewie pick up a gonk droid, you know, and, and he's using it to tap in f- to fuel the blaster. Uh, and there was a funny moment where one of the, the bad guys, you know, they recognized that Chewie was a Wookiee and Zora was all like, oh, oh, you're a Wookiee. I've never seen a Wookiee. Like, I thought that was kind of an interesting moment. And Sevex was an interesting character. I laughed when he said not to mention his name. Uh, but if they did, to tell the imps that he was enslaved by his droid and the droid's like, wait, what? <laughs> I, I thought that was a hilarious moment. I mean, the fact was the guy couldn't see, and so he had found a way to, to wire himself into his protocol droid so he could see through the droid's eyes, and the droid was completely sentient of the whole opportunity. He's like, I would really like to have my own eyes back. Like, I thought that was kind of funny, but again, I kept getting back to that feeling like I really didn't feel like this comic was aimed towards me or even the top end of the teenage spectrum. I feel like this was aimed more for my 12-year-old son. I think that's probably right. I think that Marvel in telling these stories has tended to go with a similar tone throughout, going a little bit darker with Darth Vader uh, and even Lando, but for the most part has kept sort of that standard comic audience, target audience level, uh, age-wise. And this one, this one in a lot of ways really feels like episodes of droids, for lack of a better term. And this could have been episodes of droids if they had, if Nelvana had done a Chewbacca series instead. And just right down to the goofy, like, kind of moments here. Like, you have shades of Anakin in Phantom Menace of, uh, you know, I'll try spinning, that's a good trick. Uh, uh, he told me to stay in this cockpit, so that's what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna press buttons and, oops, now I'm flying and, oh no, bad guys, oh no, I just blew up the command ship, oopsie, kind of stuff, right? Because they get into the TIE bomber to escape and what happens as they're bumping around in the TIE bomber, oops, and it actually says, oops, they wind up dropping a bomb and then have to get out uh, because they're still attached and have to basically pull a Finn and Poe thing and detach themselves so they can get the bomber out. But they drop the bomb that winds up exploding by accident because they're bumbling around inside the cockpit. And then, of course, they wind up crashing that ship as well. It's just, oh, my goodness. And and some of the some of the, the humor, it seems like it's aimed at, you know, the, the uh-huh, 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 because, of course, you know, in the kids' stories, in, in, in younger reader books, in younger reader comics, in cartoons and whatnot, yeah, usually the kids are way smarter than the adults. I mean, in this book, you could almost go with the Charlie Brown thing of only listening to what Zaro is saying, and everybody else, Chewbacca, Dad, Jom, and all them, could be just, womp, 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 and you would get the same story coming across here. But you have stuff like, uh, they crash down in the TIE bomber, and she's like, you did it! That amazing! I'm pretty sure your first crash site isn't too far away. You know, if you decide to stick around, I'm sure we can get you some flying lessons. But, uh, <laughs> You know, whereas, you know, the kids are all gonna be like, uh, 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 whereas the adults are going, smart-ass kid! Mm-hmm. Or the guard droid that says, thank the maker, as it suffers catastrophic damage. You know, the other thing that stood up to me, too, is like, you know, Zora, she really had the whole bluffing thing down so much that she forgot the fact that Chewie had a bowcaster. And then when he gets in there, she's like, oh, hey, no blasters, the place can blow. It's like, wait, you should have covered that a long time ago, sweetheart. I mean, could you imagine if Chewie would have just fired off one? That would have been great. (laughs) Yeah. And they try to end it on this very profound kind of note. But it's just like, 
no, man, you didn't earn that at all. Chewbacca finally gets back to the ship and, and he's carrying this box that he has to get to where he's going, but the box is never really prominently displayed to the point where when the box is mentioned, you're like, what, what box the hell is she talking about? So I'm so proud of you. Where's your big friend? I asked him to stay, but he was on an important mission. If he hadn't landed here, well, I don't want to think about what might have happened. I think he survived his own job and didn't want us to live as slaves. I'd have loved if he would have stayed here, but I knew he had to leave when I figured out what was inside of the box. And I'm sitting back there. I'm like, you know, I'm a combination of, of wait, wait, what box? What, the, what are they talking about? And going full on Brad Pitt 7, you know, what's in the box? <laughs> I think he's on his way home and it's not going to be a happy homecoming. I was kidding around about joining the rebellion, but that Wookiee is right in the middle of a war. And with any fight comes loss. It makes me realize how lucky we are. Somewhere tonight, a family is trying to understand how to live with the loss. Thanks to him, the war won't be coming here. That's a debt that can never be repaid. I'll always wonder about him. Does he have a family, a home, or did he give it all up to join the fight? One thing's for sure, his rebel friends are the luckiest gang in the galaxy to have him on their side. And I'm like, that is so profound, yo. <laughs> but you didn't earn that. You didn't earn the emotion of that. You didn't earn any of that. That's like going into a profound... It's an episode of Jerry Springer! <laughs> it's stupid crap for like 45 minutes, and then here's my final thoughts, and I'm going to be profound. No! You didn't earn that at all. And it, and to make it even more head-scratching, you get to the end. You know, they're, they're talking about, does he have a family? And he's hugging these Wookiees. Are they the family of the dead one? Are they his family? Because one of them's colored in such a way it might be Mala. It might be itchy. We can't really tell because the way it's drawn and because of the, the color palette here. And why in the friggin' hell did he have to take an A-Wing to go on this mission to go to Kashyyyk in order to deliver this? If in the last panel, right after he's arrived and done his thing, the Millennium freaking Falcon shows up. Why couldn't Han have just gone with him? He was going there apparently anyway. Oh my God. This is, oh, I just, I, I'm going to, I'm going to have a, uh, I'm just, I'm just, I'm going to have a mental break and, and be pulling an Arkham VR kind of thing or something. I just, I, I, I don't get how somehow this comic made it through the food chain to see print. Like, does there come a point in the process where you realize as a company, wow, we've already promoted this thing and God, it is bad, but we don't want to cancel it because that would look worse and we've already had them put in this work, so we're going to have to pay them anyway, so we might as well get our money back and just produce the thing and hope that the fact that you know, Star Wars fans buy Star Wars stuff because it's Star Wars, not because it's necessarily good is going to make us back enough money to cover up the fact that it's garbage. Who thought this was a good idea? I think it's a Star Wars fan angle that you're talking about there. I mean, you know, if they're aiming this at the young group, like 12 or 9 and younger, they know that you and I are going to buy this. They know that most of the other fans are going to buy this. So they aim it for that one group, and yet they leave it tailored just enough that anyone else could read it and kind of get things out of it. But I think you nailed it when you said it felt like a, an Ewoks or a droid cartoon. I mean, hell, at one point, Chewie's even dressed like a bounty hunter. Oh, wait, no, it was a war droid. You know, that was a little funny, but it definitely had that feeling. He's wearing, like, cans and crap to make himself look like a droid. What the <laughs> yeah, and that, that's just where I kept coming back to is this was clearly aimed at a younger demographic, and it almost makes me wonder if this is like Marvel's attempt to put out a, a kid's comic without making it so obviously for kids that all the adults won't buy it. Because, like I said, I didn't buy it. Like like the, the old Star Comics imprint, right? Where they had the Droids and Ewoks comics, but they were able to say it's for kids because it was Star Comics, not regular Marvel. Except now they don't have the Star Comics label anymore, so this becomes their kitty fair? Pretty much. I mean, and it, it seems like that have your cake and eat it too because like I said, they know that people out there are going to be buying it because it's a Star Wars. They, you know, I would turn away from a, a book that I knew was full on kitty, didn't have, you know, I would not buy a Star Wars Lego Freemaker book that did not 100% I was told this is in canon because I know it doesn't, it just doesn't work. So if I knew it was specifically aimed for kids and they didn't have that same attention to the bigger scheme, I'm not as likely to buy it. So 
I think that's why they did it like that. I think I think they aimed it for kids, but they left it in a medium that every they know people are going to buy Marvel comics of all ages. So don't market it for the kids, but yet tailor it for the kids. I hope so. I mean, I hope that that's what this was, that it was something where the marketing was just completely screwy because it says it's rated T as in teen. Oh, I thought that was terrible. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's That should have been our dead giveaway, man. T for terrible. Oh, T for trash. Um, <laughs> but I mean, if this was aimed specifically at kids, then OK, then they gave a story that's going to confuse kids at the end. But whatever. But at least it sort of makes sense why it would be written in such a dumbed down, just for, for an adult, lame sort of way. That said, they didn't seem to market it that way. There was nothing about, you know, hey, kids, check it out. I mean, I would argue that something like Shadows of Endor, which was sort of a kiddie style, is more mature than this is. And yet it had that feel because it was Ewoks and whatnot that people were initially thinking, oh, well, this must be for kids. If this was meant for kids, it's almost like in a, I would say it's the Marvel Comics equivalent of the Phantom Menace. You have a creative team that may have aimed it towards younger audiences, like with the Phantom Menace, where Lucas repeatedly talked about how, you know, well, it's supposed to be for kids, and that's why it's got the poop and the fart jokes and all that kind of stuff, the scatological humor. But Star Wars fans of all ages are stoked for the idea of a new Star Wars film, so when they go see it, the kiddie stuff angers us and takes us out of it and makes it hard to see the more adult aspects to it. And that's kind of what we've got here. If this was aimed at kids, it wasn't clearly aimed at kids. So we wind up coming at it as adult fans and think it's friggin' awful and are really, in many cases, unable to see the nuances that make it stronger, like the whole, you know, a criminal trying to, to, to sell his empire, his criminal organization off to the actual empire or... Um, Chewbacca having flashbacks to his time when he was a slave uh, and his reaction to the idea of slavery. I think at one point we're supposed to think that he's getting claustrophobic even. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, totally. That's how I come across. But, but all those types of nuances get lost because adults are reading a story that makes us think, my God, who did you write this for? Because it's not clearly a kitty type of tale. If they had made that clear in the marketing, I think that my reaction would have been much less a visceral dislike mm -hmm. and more of just a, wow, this was not for me Yeah, no. kind of thing. Instead, you know, you're marketing this to me as if this is just a Star Wars comic in the vein of all your other Star Wars comics, and then you give us this. Yeah, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> you almost wonder, though, you know, is this going to be something that, you know, they come back to, like you said at the beginning, you know, will it have more reference or relevance? And I, I keep thinking about the dead Wookiee and... You could go two directions here. You could do a prequel type story where we find out, you know, who that Wookiee was or something along those lines and how he died and what the significance of him is. Add some depth to that. Or you could have a later time where Zora has joined the rebellion and she's out there looking for Chewie because she feels like she has to repay a debt. Uh, then you could tie something into Kashyyyk or something of that line. But that's what I'm t I, I try to think of, you know, how could you add relevance to this by adding a sequel to it and I think there's opportunity there but I just don't know how much I care to know I think I would almost rather know more about the Wookiee than I would Zora I got it so like this comic series told us what happened to Chewie's medal right so you have a, a sequel series that finally explains why in the hell Zaro's running around with knee pads all the time like she's playing soccer or something <laughs> you can even call it you know Star Wars knee pads as long as it doesn't have zippers, we're okay. Something like that. I just, I don't know. I don't know. This, this it did not work. And I will say it, it was, it started out feeling more favorable on this second read through. I was like, okay, okay. I know it's going to be kind of crappy. I know I didn't like this one, but let's see how it goes. Let's keep an open mind. And it's just with every, with every turn of a page, it was like, nope, sorry. And it kept knocking that open mind kind of door creaking it closed just a little bit more each time. So yeah, maybe one that, I, I, this may be just like Darth Vader and the Ninth Assassin. We may find we start getting emails coming in from people saying, this was awesome, this was totally cool, I can't believe you didn't like it, kind of emails. And if so, that's great. Send them our way. We can use them in a feedback episode at some point. But we're not going to, to put a fake happy face on our reviews. We sort of call it like we see them. And it's our opinions, and, you know, if we see something that's that's 
not up to par. We're going to stick with the intellectual honesty of telling you that that's what we think as opposed to, I don't know, trying to, trying to put a positive spin on a mess, mm-hmm. basically. I mean, um, I kind of feel I kind of feel like in that sense, um, it's, it's a breath of fresh air to be able to do that because you look at like I like, like I think back to the uh, was it the second debate? between Clinton and Trump, and right afterwards on the Fox News channel, there's a, uh, Megyn Kelly, one of the uh, anchors, says, so, I forget how it was she said it, regardless of uh, who won this bit debate tonight, I guess it's clear who lost the debate, America. Oh, God. And I'm like, somebody whose job it is to be that impartial reporting, uh, at least in that sense, actually having to break it and say, you know what, I just can't do this anymore i can't report on the train wreck and pretend that it was a fender bender i gotta say something i think that's kind of how we feel and we got to a we've gotten to that point before this show began that that was how we were going to approach things so once this show started we've just kept to that same you know this is how we see it kind of thing and in this case we see it as low tier well i would i would make i would make it i would make a poop joke but then i'd be <laughs> delving into scatological humor as well <laughs> yeah, very low, low rung on the uh, priority list. If uh, I think that's the the best I could put it. <laughs> if you're gonna get it, get it last or close to it. Uh, I think uh, with that, we're probably good to move into covers. Uh, what's interesting about this is we've got the number one cover has got Chewbacca on it with Zora in front. It's also the one they use for the trade paperback. But what's interesting is that here in well, a couple of weeks now, November 15th of 2016, there's going to be an omnibus, Heroes for a New Hope, and it's collecting Chewbacca, Lando, and Leia, which I hate to say it, are kind of all the, the, the lowest tier of the Marvel line. Like, that's the omnibus. Like, if you're going to miss one, that's probably the one to just say, ah, I'm skipping. Yeah, I thought it was hilarious to see all those together. I mean, Lando's not as bad, although Lando's first issue or so is calling everybody brother and such, like a, like a yeah. bro, but... But yeah, so that was like, wow, at, at least they're putting them all in one place so we can avoid one trade paperback instead of multiple. Yeah. Now, the second Chewbacca one is weird because it's got Zora looking up at him kind of defiant. She almost looks pissed off. You can tell she's a girl. She's got the side profile. So it makes more sense there. Chewie's looking down at her. Nothing really wrong with that. But it's got this weird tracing line that almost looked like there's a target on them, which throws me off i'm like wait what's going on here besides that though i I don't mind the colors i don't mind the way that they've done it 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 looks okay we get to the third one i don't really care for this one very much at all uh we've got zom in the background or jom in the background with his suit jom actually was a cool looking bad guy as was his shistavan uh sidekick but he's got the side view in the background of him chewie's got the defiant roar i've got the uh chewie we're home running with the bowcaster pose and zora's got this weird like buffy the vampire slayer pose with the, the a shovel like she's gonna come cold cock somebody with the flat end of the shovel cracks me up uh going from that one to the fourth one we've got a great little it's an r5 unit i believe chewie's kind of stuffing it full of all the bombs which was a great moment in the comic itself i was starting to question what was going on but of course the comic explained it but i like this one you know she's got zara kind of has this jawa look to her where she's carrying a bunch of extra parts chewie's kind of working on it i find that one kind of cute i like it uh going to the fifth one we've got uh Chewie doing the swinging across. I think this one's probably the most action-esque. They're in the middle of the uh, Imperial hangar. We've got TIE fighters below them and stuff. Imperial stormtroopers shooting all around them. I think for me, it's it's a hard one between 4 and 5 because I, I like the cuteness of 4, but I like the action of 5. So it's really hard to say which one of those two I like better. As far as these covers go, i got to say I probably would have liked them more if they hadn't been left out in the sun for a while. Because, again, it's that same type of thing. It's the same guy doing all the art, which we're talking about, you know, the, the regular art, the, the, the colors, everything is the same person. And just like on the inside, it looks like the comics were left out in the sun because everything is just washed out. Uh, and it just, it, it doesn't, I don't know, there's, there's, there's something about the, the washed out colors that just make the whole presentation kind of dull. Uh, I actually think probably my favorite of these is the first one. Because it looks almost like it could be a movie cover, uh, a movie poster, right? Chewbacca looking very Chewbacca-esque in the background, much bigger in the frame. And then we see Zaro up in the front, um, just kind of standing there. We don't know who she is at this point, but we're thinking, oh, well, you know, maybe it's somehow like a connection between those two. You know, it's almost like 
uh, where you would see a, a character in their earlier and later incarnations on the same cover, kind of like they did with the, the echoing of certain things in some of the Kanan covers and whatnot. Um, so that one I actually really liked, uh, except for, of course, the washed-out nature of it, but it feels the least washed-out because of the color choices. The second one, okay. I mean, that again, I, I agree with you. At least that lets us know, based on the profile, that, hey, Zaro's supposed to be a girl! Uh, otherwise, it's kind of like, okay, whatever. That's that's fine. It looks like she's, you know, defiant, but that's kind of already taken care of in the previous issue, but whatever. They try to do the same kind of, like, movie poster-esque thing with number three. Uh, John in the background, uh, it's okay. He's an Umbaran, I believe, so uh, that kind of works. Uh, uh, it's cool to see him in a way where you can see some detail to his face, because you really don't see that in most of the actual interior art of the comic. It's, it's weird, though, you look at the way that they've drawn Chewbacca. Chewbacca has this thick, defining black line around him. Like, it's almost like Chewbacca is being... It, they're adding him through uh, film composition into the shot. Oh, yeah. Except it's friggin' artwork that's all one piece. It really looks kind of weird. Uh, like he's been cut out and pasted on top of the rest of it. Uh, and I do agree that Zaro definitely has a Buffy the Vampire Slayer kind of thing going on. The, the boots, uh, the knee pads, the, the gloves with the fingers cut out and whatnot, the shirt over his shirt and everything, the big old friggin' shovel in her hand ready to beat the crap out of somebody. Yeah, that was a cool pose there. Number four, with the whole Zaro's bringing in the, the different explosive parts or whatever and Chewbacca's stuffing them all inside the droid. Again, I mean, that kind of works. Again, very washed out, but I could see that being... That almost feels like a, a, a one-sheet piece of art or something like that that they might use. Like, if you had changed a few things about this, it could have been, you know, a Star Wars Christmas painting kind of thing, you know? So, that works. Except for some reason, the meep, the little word balloon coming out of the droid going, meep, just throws me out of it. I, I don't know why that that bugs me as much as it does. And then the fifth one actually promises a much more action-packed comic than, of course, the entire series winds up being, with the oh, you know, Chewbacca swinging, with Zaro hanging on, and the, the stormtroopers firing up. Of course, now we know that that's happening whenever it's decompressing, so we're kind of like, wait, what? But, you know, it works. So, I would argue the cover art is definitely better than the interior art for all of these, but to me, it's that first one that stands out, very movie poster-esque. What's funny is part three in Wikipedia, their publisher summary is, and I quote, followed by, and, which honestly was about how I felt about titling this episode. <laughs> it's either Wookiee speak or somebody's had some bad chimichungas and is trying to get that out. Ooh, come on, ice cream. Oh, man. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I think that this is one that I'm sure we're going to have some people say, you know, well, I really like this. You know, it was cute for what it was or whatever. Just was not one for us. And it's funny because Chewbacca got his own miniseries and he didn't even have to die this time to get it. Although, if he read his own miniseries, he's probably sitting back wish he had died. Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on and sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Stitcher and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. It is our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you guys have any Star Wars questions or Legends questions or just questions in general, fire off. You can always email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. Now lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention you, our sponsors, Audible. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starwarsreport, you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. 
Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars expanded universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate. Because Audible members, they can exchange any book within 12 months. That's one year with no questions asked. So, in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this is Ben, Mark, and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds. We're going to find later that in the name of diversity, it turns out that that character who died, whose bandolier he takes back to Kashyyyk, was Chewbacca's secret boyfriend. Mm. Or maybe it was Azair. A what? Azair. I don't know what else to call them. A Zahir? Oh, Zahir? Okay, what if it's a Wookiee Zahir? Gender neutral pronoun. I was like, what? What, what would a Wookiee gender neutral word be? I don't even know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. What are the odds we're going to get out of this one alive? I don't like the odds of that at all. 